David Thomas suffered a deeply abusive childhood. He went off the rails as a teenager. He attempted suicide, was expelled from school and received a criminal conviction. He turned his life around and his story is a fascinating journey from dead end jobs to the fire service, to the world memory championships, to becoming an international speaker and trainer, helping leaders in their communication skills. I've known David 10 years and in this episode, David shares his journey and how he overcame adversity, achieved everything he has achieved, it's really inspiring for anybody who's facing challenges in work or in life. A massive welcome to the TRM podcast to David Thomas. Thank you for joining us, David, all the way from the northeast. <laughs> no, no, I'm not quite in the northeast. I'm in the north. Oh. North, North East is like another 150 miles up, you know. Oh. We're, we're like the Midlands, really. We're in the centre of the country. So listen, <laughs> um, um, two, two things that are unique about you uh, as a podcast guest. A, you're the first person I've had on this podcast that's had a direct influence on my kids. And we'll come back to that a bit later. Fantastic. And, and secondly, you're the only person that Oprah Winfrey has given a quote about saying i think the were i think the words were that you've earned your place in history for your for your superior mind that's a pretty good quote yeah well the, the americans are not short of superlatives are they and i was like you know go for it say whatever you like and that was a belter that was a belter. it's one of those things if you say it about yourself you go you cringe and want to crawl under the table but you know it's nice when somebody else says it yeah brilliant anyway great to have you on um so we're going to talk all about um Presentation, communication, influence, and impact, which we spend where you spend a lot of your time at the at the moment. But I I, I can't not have you share your journey a little bit, um, and um, because I think everything that I've understood and read about you, it's it's sort of shaped a little bit how you are, which I guess is true for for for, for most of us. But do you want to talk us through the journey that got you to become a getting quotes like that off Oprah, being a, a Guinness world record holder uh and doing what you do today well the potted history is that terrible childhood that was just you know ginger and bean from malifax didn't help <laughs> so, the, <laughs> so but the thing is it wasn't my mother was an alcoholic my stepfather was a brew he was 65 years old when i was six it was terrible upbringing and then 16 it all fell apart got into trouble you know petty theft getting in trouble of the law kicked out ended up in a factory for a quid an hour packing christmas gifts into boxes and that was my first job 20 joined the fire service life-changing biggest transformation i've ever had because it was the first time that i'd had self-respect but also got respect for the people so being an northern working class lad that was top of the food chain but i wasn't very good at passing my exams and and i'll i use the quote that i use in every talk i give which is I had a nickname because everybody has a nickname in the fire service. A man was thrombo, which was short for thrombosis, as in a slow-moving clot, which is brutal and hilarious at the same time. So absolutely my sense of humour. But I couldn't pass the promotion exam, so I didn't think I was going to pass. Nobody said, you know, if you studied, do accelerated learning or anything like that, you could potentially pass. They just went, you're not good enough to pass. I was like, fair enough. Because I didn't really care. And I think motivation... It almost always comes from pain and fear rather than pleasure. It's rare that we're moving towards pleasure. We just It's more like we're running away from something. And that's been shown statistically as well. It's about four to one. So 
four times as many people, when they go through big change, do it through because of pain and fear, not because of moving towards pleasure. I didn't have any pain, so I just thought I was going to be 30 years, firefighter, retired 15, happy days. And then one day I'm watching TV, met, saw a guy memorize a pack of playing cards. I thought it would be quite cool to teach myself. Bought his book, taught myself. Eight months later, came down to the big smoke. And I was, you know, I was, uh, you know, I came forth in the world. And my life changed in a weekend. On the Friday, it was a hobby in my back bedroom. Monday, I'm getting read by a million people in the Times. I go back to work. Boss pulls me in. What's all this memory stuff? Do you want to teach it? No, I don't. He went, come on, you got to teach it. I went, no, no, I don't want to teach it. So he pushed me into it. And the first meeting was a great success. Did it in the fire service. And I just thought it'd be too geeky, too peripheral, too soft. Yeah. You know, I don't think people would really find any interest in memory speed reading and mind mapping, which is what I taught. But they did. So I thought, maybe I could do this commercially. And I went out and started contacting companies. They didn't have a computer, didn't have the internet. Literally went to the library, got a book, found all the top companies in West Yorkshire, phoned them up, Asda, Morrisons, whatever. They all said, why would we want a memory guy? And I went, that's the best question I've heard all day. And I have no answer to that. So I just kept on phoning and eventually a jacuzzi manufacturer, you know, booked me in Bradford. So that started off the speaking. The memory started, I came, went back to the World Championships in 97, came third. 98, I did the Guinness record for reciting Pi to 22,500 digits. Left the memory stuff for a bit, came back in 04, did 100 packs of playing cards. 07, had a green card, was living in America, became US memory champion. And I kind of left it there, although I still teach it. I've been teaching it now for nearly 27 years. And... <clears throat> And, and it just triggered everything. The Guinness record was the thing that triggered it. Yeah. Because as I, as I always say, people people need people need to understand what it is that you're trying to get across. And when I was talking about the World Memory Championships, they looked a bit puzzled. What does that mean? And I said, well, it's a bit like a decathlon. It's ten event. The moment you have to explain something, it doesn't work. Not as well. But when I said I've done a Guinness record, they went, I get that. Everybody's heard of Guinness. Uh, reciting pint. We all learn that at school. Every school in the world teaches it. 22,500 digits, they know that is a boatload of numbers. So the thing is that they got it, and that just then was the, it's been the best business card I've ever had because he gets my foot through the door. And because people value excellence. That's why awards in any industry are important. If you're the best in the country at what you do, even if it's just a panel of three people who choose it, it doesn't matter. Even if it's a highly subjective opinion, if you're the number one recruitment firm in the country, according to XYZ poll or um, this award ceremony, it matters. It just does. Mm. Right. People, people want to see something that's separated through. And that was it then. I just kind of carried on doing it. 12 years ago, I was doing, I was with a client and they said, would you do a, Would you do presentation skills? And I just went, I don't do that. Get somebody else. I've, I've never done it. And she went, I want you. And I said, well, first of all, tell me why. She says, because you are brutal. You will absolutely take me apart, put me back together. And secondly, you're a sensational speaker. So if you can reverse engineer what you do and then sh then teach me how you do it. Yeah. And I said, fair enough. I said, well, we'll spend a day together. If it's crap, don't pay me. And I still have a video testimonial from the very first day, 12 years ago. And she said, this is great. You should book Dave. So then I go to all my clients thinking of all, and what was interesting about presentation skills, and this is interesting in business, when, it, when I was doing the brain training, nobody had heard of it or nobody really did it. Mm. When I put forward to my clients doing presentation skills, I said to them, have you done presentation skills before? 100% went, yeah. I went, why would you do it again? 
because it's like having a shower, Dave. You know, you need to keep doing it. It's mm. like fine. And so I found my way into, you know, so I've worked with companies now. I've worked on $500 million worth of investment and sales pitches. I've worked with people speaking at the Houses of Parliament, trying to get the law change in their industry. And now 90% of my work is working with C-suite or sales and marketing teams on presentation skills. Mm. Right. I'm going to go back over a couple of things there, Dave, because sometimes you, you went over pretty quick. But how do you, this, this memory thing. So listen, you're a guy in... But you said, uh, I think you failed your A-levels, didn't you? So, yeah. uh, but then suddenly you stumble across the thing, which thing I can learn a pack of cards, which became 100 packs of cards, which became 22,500 numbers after as part of Pi. Uh, what is it about your brain that is different or are you, or is it or, or is it pure effort and and ambition and hard work? Well, I had my brain tested in 2002. So my assumption was I must be, I must, my brain must be wired at least a bit different. Yeah. Research study we were all part of in University College in London, 2002, and they said your brain is the same as everybody else's. So I thought I was special, but apparently not. Mm. It was just the same, the size of it, the number of connections, everything else. There were some things that came out of that study which we were interested in. One is that the number, the, the amount of my brain that I use is different to normal. So most people don't use a creative side, for example. So they'll spend 99% of the time looking at spreadsheets, looking at words, looking at lists, doing a job. But, you know, when I say to companies, how often do you have, you know, creativity days or staff away days where you do like blue sky thinking, then they go like twice a year. Mm. So at 230 working days, 1% is given up to creativity. They go, yeah, the rest of it is just hamster on a wheel. Bum, 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 bum. So things we don't use it. And so the thing is with brain training, it, it, it taps into all that creative side. It uses just more of the brain. You need to use more of the brain to use it to do these things. But believe it or not, I was at a conference last week. I was the opening keynote speaker for the National Sales Conference in, the, in Birmingham. And there were 600 salespeople there. And a guy came up at the end. We chatted in a coffee break. And he works for an autism charity. And he said, do you think you've got autism? And I went, I, to be honest, I don't know. Mm. And he said, well, you know, people see aut autistic people as those who, who are, you know, not able to mix socially and all the rest of it. He says, clearly you can do that. He says, but there are other things that um, people have. He says, do you have hyperfocus and hyperfixation? I said, yes. Mm. So I sit there and even now, even though I'm fast approaching 60, my ambition is not going in reverse at all. Mm. It's not even slowing down, it's going the other way. So I get an idea in my head and it's like, I become hyper fixated on it. So at the moment, I'm thinking of starting a YouTube channel on losing weight because I'm a competitive bodybuilder. And I get more response to the bodybuilding posts. And like last week, when I when I put the photos up at this, the sales conference, you know, the guys come up at the end, 80% of the questions were about the bodybuilding, not about memory or anything else. Because guys get to a certain age, 40 plus, and it all, you know, they all look like they've got a body like a plate of melted cheese, right? Like we all did. <laughs> and I was 20 stone, and then I lost seven and a half stone, then I ended up on the bodybuilding stage. But the thing that, you know, I, all I've done this year is hyperfixate on YouTube. I must have listened, even this morning, I listened to 90 minutes a podcast just about YouTube, about AI. How how's it? it no, I, I know more about YouTube before I even do it mm. than you know. I've read in most books, <clears throat> and, and so the ability to hyperfixate. 
when I did the Guinness record, it took me six hours a day for six months to learn that number. Mm. I'd have missed two kids. I was working full time as a firefighter. I get up at four thirty in the morning, do three hours, go to work, do my day's work, come home, do it at night, do it with four hours sleep. And so that ability to focus and fixate and mm. just um, grind, I think, is, is, is grind is just become a dirty word. But actually, you know what? You can kind of probably outperform most people just by outworking them. Yeah. And the other thing as well is that people just don't have the focus. So yeah. if you sit down and go, well, I don't have the time, and I'm going like, do me a favour then, get your phone out, start your stopwatch. Every single time you start doing something you know you shouldn't or that is of little to no value, social media, emails you shouldn't be reading, phone calls you shouldn't be on, meetings you shouldn't be going to, whatever. And just, just see how many hours you've got in a day. You know, just let me, you know, I get watching a bit of crap TV at eight o'clock at night to re rewind, but you don't have to start at six. You know, so just sit there and work it out. And they refuse to do it. Or those that do come back and go, 10 hours a week. Yeah. All right. So, yeah. you, so you, you, know. yeah, you, you so I get that hyper fixation, but that, the, the memory piece, because I'm quite interested in that, actually, you know, we, we're obviously looking at screens an awful lot these days and uh, we're things are moving a lot quicker. Is is the memory or are our memories negatively affected by that, or does it not really matter so much because I can access information so much quicker? Well, I think the it doesn't it doesn't really affect memory. You know, memory as as a whole is not getting any worse. I, I think our ability to focus is so mm. because we focus on something, then then the challenge is then we don't remember it because we're not focused. Mm. So. You know, nowadays, when I was a kid, I have a photograph of my bedroom when I was a kid. There was like a card table in the corner with a felt on top, the wardrobe over here, and that's where I did my homework. Now, you go into a kid's bedroom, it's like Starship Enterprise, it hurts your eyes. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because they've got a TV over there, phone, phone going ding ling ding dang dong they've got music going on, and then they wonder why they can't do the exam when they get inside, and it's complete silence. Yeah. So the thing but we're all the same. Adults are the same, sit and watch TV with a phone in their hand. Well, you know, you know what you're doing is your brain's trying to do two things at once. And it kind of can. You kind of know what's going on on TV. but And you can kind of do this, but you're not focusing on one thing enough. And yeah. also attention span has gone down. So in 2000, it was 15 seconds. By 2018, it was eight seconds. And I listened to an ex-YouTube employee on a podcast two weeks ago that said it is now almost zero wow. and the guy went, what do you mean it's almost zero he said when you look at a thumbnail on a youtube clip you make a decision about whether to click on it inside 16 milliseconds mm. and so the thing is that the the reality is is that the, the flood of information the creativity that you know marketers and advertisers have got now to get into our peripheral vision somewhere somehow online offline going to the gym mm. wherever it is is so good that we're just bombarded with so much that we just don't remember it. Yeah. The one thing that I've been affected by, I've found, is my reading. I used to love, love, love reading, but my uh, just the creating an hour and just leisurely reading seems to have gone. Um, you did that amazing session for my daughter, Kate, uh, with your good mate, Marcus Childs, many years ago, where as a, I think she was 15 at the time, you created this amazing workshop for kids going through their exams, which is partly about believing in yourself with Marcus and partly about working your memory, which was absolute, absolute genius. And and that's uh, that had a massive impact on her, on her ability to um, 
think a little bit differently about herself. Um, let's uh, let's move on to the um, on to the presentation things because again, I'm quite interested in the in the in the world you, you and I are talking across Zoom. Um, presentation is about sort of influence and impact for me, but what are, what are we? How's it changed over the you know the years since you've been involved? Are we uh, the generation coming through? Do they need it more than ever? Are, are we less good at it? What's happening in the world of presentation? What's changed? Well, there's all kinds of things changed. So, for example, when I started doing it, I, I would do two-day courses for brain mind mapping, speed reading, and memory. Yeah. Now, a company wouldn't give me a day. I've got to get that stuff across super, super sharp, super quick, three and three and a half hours max. And I've mm -hmm. learned to do that very, very well. But when I first started out, it was two days. So, when it comes to presentation skills, you've got to learn how to get your point across in the shortest amount of time, the least number of words, and the, the lowest number of slides. Mm -hmm. You say it and you get off, right? Mm -hmm. The thing is that people's attention span is less. We've just discussed that. So you've got to get it across as quick as you possibly can. Yeah. Moving forward, the biggest issue is going to be AI. So I was watching a fantastic interview with a guy who created a TikTok channel called Deep Tom Cruise. So it's a deep fake Tom Cruise. So this guy looks like Tom Cruise. And it was it was an actor, and he was getting to like almost the point where he's getting pretty big parts. They just turn around and they go, but all we're hiring is a discount Tom Cruise. And he's going like, well, why is that a bad thing? He said, because that's what people will see. And he was like, really? Anyway, so what he started doing was doing little pastiches of Christian Bale and American Psycho, Psycho and Tom Cruise. It looks a bit like him to get himself done up and do these amazing film things. Then a guy from somewhere in probably Eastern Europe, I think it was, just got in touch and said, you know, I could put Tom Cruise's face on that. And he was like, give it a go. So he does. Anyway, the other week I was showing Karen, my missus, and I said, oh, look, Tom Cruise is playing basketball. And she went, oh, that's a bit odd. We go, yeah, isn't it? She thought nothing of it. Then I turned away and I went, it's not him. And she went, no, you can't tell. You can't yeah. tell. The and so the thing is, this guy was getting interviewed and you think it's got to be a kid of like 18. It wasn't. It was a 40-year-old guy, very successful entrepreneur, and he was just playing around with AI. And he said, and the guy interviewing him said, well, what does the future look like? He says, you know how you sit there and you go, it doesn't matter about legacy because your great, great grandkids will never know who you are, right? Not true. He said, in 100 years, your great, 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 great grandkids will be able to have a conversation with a hologram of you that looks like you. And because of the number of data points that are now available online, you will be able to respond in the way as if you were doing it in real life. Oh, that's the yeah. future so the thing is that when it comes to presentations very soon inside 12 months you'll see somebody on a, on a zoom like this and not know if it's them or not well so the thing is when it comes to presentations literally the only time you're going to absolutely be able to tell if it's real and true and coming from the person inside literally months will be if you are in a room with them so people are going, but AI is going to get rid of presentation skills. It might make some interactions more effective. Producing YouTube videos, it's going to drop the time from this to this. There are now, I was listening, this morning I was listening to a guy called Quebble Cop, and he's decided to do an AI-only generated um, YouTube channel of himself. Mm. And the guy was going, you know, and the guy was uh, involved in the industry, and he's going, why are you doing it? And he goes, because I can, and because I want to. And he says, we can produce um, 10 videos of short videos that are, you know, broadcast quality for a history channel we're doing in three minutes. And we just choose the best one. 
and we're putting them out every 30 minutes and I've got, and that takes one person. Mm. So that's the future that we're looking at when it comes to that kind of thing in terms of online. But when it comes to face-to-face, you know, like the sales conference last week, getting in a room, being able to speak to people. But when you get your chance, whether it's in the break, talking to a friend or talking to doing your networking or whether you're on stage, you've got to learn how to present well. Mm. And, you know, in, you know, a very, very, a very interesting point is that you got to st- you got to stick to time. And I know this can sounds a bit granular, but you don't, you know, you lose people <clears throat> if you talk too long. So like last week, the co- I was the only keynote speaker. It started late. I had twenty five minutes, and I started six minutes late. Not my fault. It was the organizer. So I got nineteen minutes instead of twenty five. So I have three talks: twenty four minutes, twenty one minutes, eighteen. So I get they pull out the eighteen, do it, come off, bang on time. 9.45, 9.45, I'm off. The next guy comes on. He's got a 25-minute slot. Speaks for 40 minutes. Over by 60%. He comes off at the minute. The next one was supposed to be coming off. Not starting. And the thing is that that's going to be the killer. Mm. Ultra precise. Get your point across. Really succinct because people don't have the attention or desire to engage. One of the things that's been quite interesting in our industry is the um this year's been quite tough for a lot of recruiters job flows have slowed down uh interesting market challenging economy in some places the uh the generation of people who came into recruitment in the last couple of years actually it was quite easy to win business because lots of people were looking for candidates all over the place this year there's been a big um there's been there's been a big push about creating more face-to-face interactions with a generation of people that may be a newish into the world of work and ha- haven't had to get out there before because building relationships hasn't been quite as important and there's um you know the amount of times i've spoken with a business leader who said it's it's tougher than i thought it should be or tougher than i'd like it to be to get some of my people out there building relationships communicating getting the mess- message out there is that something again with the gen network let's call it the next generation that you maybe see the, the generation you, you you and i we grew up face to face in the world of face to face so is that something that you see is that something that you train people on in terms of organizations not n- not necessarily that specifically i tend to work c-suite so by definition the 40 plus yeah. and the reason why they book me is because they're making big decisions. They're trying to raise the biggest one I worked on was a 75 million pound contract. And he was just talking to one buyer. And and so he needed to know how to get that one buyer engaged in 60 minutes. Otherwise, as he got 750 million quid, he'd earned over 10 years. And now all of a sudden he's going to lose it all. So the thing is that um, when it comes to younger people, they're hardwired for speed, they're hardwired for digital it's very difficult to describe i mean i still look at the internet i still do the zoom with you and i go oh, bloody hell god we're talking over the internet <laughs> I'm like, I'm like a caveman. Right? and it's like you know we've had the internet for 30 years i got it's amazing it's like i'm like that that character off off the fast show in the internet brilliant you know just like it fascinates me every day I just can't get over what an amazing thing it is because I still remember. But the, but you know, people who are coming through now, they just 
digital on a different level and it's not going it's not going in reverse it's just increasing 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 so people i was i was in the gym the other day and a guy went but if you do a channel on you know body transformation and bodybuilding it's a saturated market isn't it i said no because every single year the people using youtube goes up the amount of time that goes up slightly the number of people getting fast speed internet around the world is going up the people who are getting smartphones is going up mm. because all those countries that have not had it coming through so the thing is that everybody at that generation now is just completely hardwired yeah. to doing it. And so they struggle. But, you know, it doesn't mean to say they're not worldly, because they are. People, you know, people say, well, they get this edited kind of life through social media, but they get an awful lot more than I did. Mm. Holy cow. I, you know, I can remember going to London when I went to my first World Memory Trap show, I was 28. And honestly, you've never seen anybody, you know, it was like a scene out of a film, you know, I'm walking around looking at the big buildings. I'm 28 years old. You know, somebody who's 14 now has had more access to information than I will in my lifetime. And so they're worldly and understand things and they can see mm. and everything else. But the moment they sat stood in front of you, they, they really struggle. They do. Mm. And so, but you know, the fact is, what's going to happen in the future? Mm. I mean, you know, you, you, you're pushing people out back out face to face and some people will like that. But is it because the new people are still working with people who are 40? So the 40-year-olds plus want face to face. But give it 10 years, the person who's 25 now is 35, the 40 or 50, and they kind of got the job and looking at retirement. Mm. So the new generation more happy to do this. I don't know. So I don't know. I don't I know. Talking- I was talking to CEO the other day. He said uh, they've probably got about eighty people. They said, uh, "Yeah, we've we've made it a policy now for me and any of my senior people or managers who going out face to face, we take somebody with us. We take one of the more junior, the newer people with us because I don't know how else I can show them that actually a it's it's okay, b it's fun, c you know there are little techniques that we can we can use during it to make us more effective." It's uh, but the biggest issue is highly inefficient. Mm. it's just hugely inefficient you can't step out the door i can't go from here to the gym which is two miles away it took me like two and a half minutes to get out of the junction this morning you know coming out of tesco i'm sat there and it's just wall-to-wall traffic at 8 30 mm-hmm. but the moment you go further afield it's really troublesome yeah, yeah. That's what I do zoom. you know what we're doing here is amazing and and i i, I if some you know 10 years ago, 15 years ago, somebody would go, I need to meet if I'm going to book you. And I go, how big's the opportunity? Yeah, okay, fair enough. I'll have a day out. Now I just go, yeah, I'll charge you half a day fee. And it would no, we'll do it on Zoom. Because 90, you can do 90% of what you need on Zoom. Yeah. And this is the thing. And and so this is the only caveat I would make is that yeah, the guys are going, well, let's go out face to face. That's nice for the candidate. It's not nice for you as a recruiter. That's a really inefficient use of your time. What you should be doing is learning how to do this really well. Yeah. So we're a couple of old dogs, right? You know, we've been around the block a bit. <laughs> you, know, we've had to, you know, we've run companies, worked with people, we've done the face-to-face. We can communicate really nice and easily on here, but people in general don't know how to use Zoom well. And if they learned how to use it well, then actually they would. They, then that's just the nice halfway point. Phone's not good enough. Mm. You want to see people, you want to know who you're connecting with. Yeah. And then, but unless it's a rock solid candidate who's going to drop tens of thousands in your bank, you know, playing devil's advocate, I'd be like, why would you go out? Yeah. I know it's better for the candidate, 
but what's better for you as a recruiter? Yeah. Maybe face to face, maybe you have a tier system. You know, anybody's going to drop more than five, five figures in your bank account. You've got to meet face to face. I don't know the numbers. I'm just really making this up. You know, if it's if it's a you know a truck driver who's going out and you're getting, you know, t- four quid an hour off them and they're going to do a few hundred hours. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a phone call. You know, yeah. so to me, it's more of, it's more like working in reverse. What's going to help you achieve your goals? Yeah. If you can have, if you, can have you know, we, it's half 10, I come off in 15 minutes, it's 45 minutes. If I'd have had to come and find you, it would have been five, six hours. Yeah. Do five Zooms instead of one face-to-face. Yeah. Therefore, you just, to me, it's about analysis. Yeah. Where, where are you? Uh, and how, how can people work with you? How do they... Uh... Just reach I've got out. my website. I mean, I've got a, a LinkedIn that I post on four, five, six times a week. Yeah. I've got a website, creatingpresentationrockstars.com, which is what I do. And that's, uh, and honestly, it's all on there. Nice. Fantastic. And what's your next, uh, your next, how many hyperfixations do you think you've got left? <laughs> you've, <laughs> had, you've had some big ones that have taken you to some amazing places. Yeah, it does. And I mean, the thing is that, you know, I'm I'm very very interested interested in the mind and the body, and so the truth is I don't really know. But I'll, one little statistic which never fails to fascinate me is that men lose 1.2 percent testosterone from the age of 40. Right. So testosterone you see as a, a as a sex hormone and a muscle building hormone, but actually for men it's the single most important hormone we have. Yeah. It is responsible for ambition work ethic drive desire for success right and so that's why when guys get to 60 the concept the only conversation you have with 90 percent of 60 year olds is retirement that's all they talk about they don't talk about the next goal the next business the next opportunity they don't in our industry we meet a lot of 60 year olds and, they, and they're smashing it but in general out on the street in the gym you know I said, I said, it's all gray heads in the morning right it's all 60 yeah. year old men and they're all just trying to get through to retirement and so the thing is that there is also a biological thing as well as neurological you know and so there's a study came out of finland a few years ago and if you know the finish have done it you know it's been done right and 53 was the age at which motivation desire for success and ambition drop off a cliff and it's hormonal so for women it's menopause and for men it's testosterone and you know i don't know what makes some guys better at it than others you and i know bob batty very well who recently passed away 73 and he was not in great shape you know his son and i had a quite a long i went to his son the other week and luke one to one and we were chatting and he, and he says you know my dad wasn't in great shape he was overweight didn't do any exercise but he just got up in the morning did 10 hours and just was yeah. out there meeting people yeah. doing doing it so what creates that drive who knows yeah but testosterone is something worth investigating because there are many things we do which damage it and yeah. there are many things that we can do to help manage it and improve it so i'm all about both you know neurologically yeah. keeping myself strong but physically keeping myself in great shape managing testosterone and learning about all those other things that hopefully give me longevity because my biggest issue actually is i don't i, I have nothing to retire for you know we have four grandkids another one on the way love being with them but don't live for it don't want to do it full time I don't have any hobbies or pastimes other than bodybuilding. I don't want to live abroad. Don't want to do gardening. 
So things actually, it's important for me to work. I want to work until I'm 75, 80. Yeah. Be able to do this. Love it. Love it. Uh, I, uh, you make me chuckle. And I, I did see just before um, your VDU operator at Bradford Pennine, just before you went into the, into the, into the, uh, come out into the fire service where you started at the bottom and left at the bottom. I really like, like that quote. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it was horrific. The biggest problem with that, actually, I could do it quite well. Yeah. I could just input the data well, but I could do a day's work in half a day. Yeah. And and it's a bad attitude, and I'll say it out loud. I was just like, you know, I can remember the boss, it pulled me in like every three weeks, over two years, he went, why aren't you doing more work? And I went, why would I? <laughs> it's like but if you could do more work then why would you not i went but i'm doing the same as everybody else in the office you know and it was like i, I didn't see, i don't why should i flog my guts out when i'm on two quid an hour <laughs> you know for, for like doing a job i don't enjoy i'll just sit here and stare at the wall or whatever and he was like and he could never wrap his head around it he could never understood that he you know he needed to get more out of me or he needed to work out how to incentivize me that, you know, my motivation doing a bloody awful job was completely down to me. So I think, you know, when it comes to presentation skills, to kind of almost bring that full circle, when I work with leaders, you know, I say, this this is your moment. As a leader, you need to understand that you are in a unique position, particularly when I work with chief execs. You're facing one way, everybody else is facing the other. Mm. The biggest talk you will give in your life is the Monday morning team meeting. And, and you need to spend an hour on a Sunday working out what you're going to say in five minutes, because that might be the only five minutes to hear off you for the week. Mm. And then expecting 40 or 50 people to go out and smash it and, you know, go over the wall for you. Think about what you're going to say. Don't just stand up and go, you had a good weekend. Oh, thanks for coming in. Yeah. Yeah. It's all right. And yeah, we went, you know, we did this and this and, you know, we've got a great week coming up and I love you lots. Crack on. And I'm like, killer. So the thing is, it's, you know, leaders, forget how important they do you know they think it's a family they think it's a team and we're all in it together but we're not mm. nobody is they, everybody wants leadership and that leadership is not just doing a job it's it's what they say as much as what they do mm. and, um and i think one of the, yeah it must, it must be a truth that you you get into a routine a habit not i won't say necessarily a rut but where you just don't rethink and refresh what you're going to say in those key moments that you're describing must no, and that's the one thing that always impressed me about Bob, because I was a member, I was in with Hamish, your brother, of course, for two and a half years in Bob's group. And every month he'd come in and he'd say something different that completely destabilized you. Mm. But like, if you got a million quid tomorrow, what would you do with it? You know, and it was just a quirky, quick, crazy question. And I can remember at the time I sat down with him, you do one to ones in, in vestiges, you know, and I, and I was about a year into it with Bob. And he just came in and sat down and he was like, so I was with uh, my partner Liz at the time and he just went, so instead of going, how's work, how's business, how's the month been, like, so, you know, he just turned around and he went, what is the greatest thing you could do for Liz? And I was like, find a sister. And he went, why? He said, because like 30 years before, 25 years before, big fallout, with a mother and a sister, they fell out. She walked away, said she'd never speak to her mother again. And lo and behold, because, um, you know, Liz was still at home. She was 16, 10 years younger. That was it. 20 years passed. 
and she missed her sister every single day. He went, off you go and do it. That was literally the meeting. You go. <laughs> so I go and I sit and think about it. I find a name. I find the, the sister's husband. I phone him. I, I just see a, a phone number. I just do a bit of a Google search. I know he works in mushroom farming. It's a number. And I phone him up. I went, you don't know me. I'm with Liz. He'd, he'd like to meet Jane. Gives a call. So two days later, he phones me back and he goes, I'll have a word with Jane, see what can happen. By the Friday, we'd, we'd, uh, we met at the Sheffield Hilton and these two women just walked into each other and just sobbed into each other's, you know, chest. It was just, and I'm sat there cramming my eyes out. And these two girls had just been riven apart by a mother. And, you know, that's leadership. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Bob knew that, he was a leader between me and him. This wasn't mm. a meeting of equals. He was yeah. my leader as the leader of the Vistage group, even though there was a lot of strong personalities and people like Hamish doing amazing things. And But we all want leadership. And mm. I got that. And I went away and changed a woman's life forever. Oh. And so, you know, leaders don't understand that enough. Mm. Pass it off too quick. Mm. They think it's all just kind of all sat around holding hands together and it, it just isn't. Mm. David, it's been an absolute pleasure. Anybody listening, uh, I can vouch for this man. Um, and so good hundreds of companies out there and leaders out there. Um, thank you for joining us. Uh, we'll speak again. Big things, uh, big what will make 2024 an amazing year for you? YouTube channel. Because I want to learn, I want to learn how to use AI. Love it. It's just coming like it's not coming, it's not slowly coming down the hill, it's a torrent. And I love I love AI, and I think it's just going to allow us to do everything that we do better. And it just means it's going to be legacy. It's going to be about producing more material, about helping other people. Because I love speaking face to face, and I will do it till the day I drop dead. But it's inefficient. How can you get your message out there in a more impactful way? And I mean, somebody said something this morning, and I'll just leave this thought with your with your members. Imagine a company now that doesn't have a, a, a website. You'd never trust them. You'd never buy off them. Inside three years to five years, a guy this morning said, that'd be the same with YouTube. Individuals and companies that don't have a YouTube channel, you'll never buy off them. And I thought that was a really interesting and kind of, you know, unusual challenge. Mm. YouTube for me is the big thing that's going to make the big difference. And uh, and learning about AI, because I just find it all fascinating. David, thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure. Great to see you again. And uh, we'll speak again. Thank you, Gordon. Really appreciate it. Thank you very much. You've got access to so many people. I never take it for granted. So take care. Don't forget to follow the TRM podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcasts for a new exciting episode every week.